Welcome to the Emerging Temple broadcast for October 24th, 2019. I am Michael Obeyer. I will be your guide for the rest of this broadcast. At Emerging Temple, we seek to analyze current events within the context of God's plan for mankind, a plan in which he intends to establish a government here on earth and have some of us rule with him in a government that is to be, to be established. Before I go any further, I want to encourage you to like our page and to share it with your family and friends. If you have a notification icon like a bell at the bottom of your screen, I want you to go ahead and click on that icon so you can subscribe and get notifications anytime we upload new videos. I also want to encourage you to visit our website, templeoftruth.us, where you can support us. Also, you can go to patreon.com, patreon.com, and seek our look for our emerging hand, our, our handle, Emerging Temple. Okay, Emerging Temple at Patreon, and there you'll be able to support us. Okay, great. We're going to continue from where we stopped yesterday. We began to talk about the difference between the Christian religion and the Christian faith. And today, we're going to look at um, two basic aspects of modern religion relative to faith and see the contrast between religion and faith. First, we're going to look at the conduct of um, religious or a Christian gathering, a religious gathering versus a Christian gathering. We're also going to take a look at the difference between the cross of the faith in Christ and the cross of the Christian religion. Okay, so before I go, before I continue, as I often do, I would like to play a clip of, um, of, uh, of, a, of a teaching. And um, of course, remember, I don't always endorse 100% everything I, I bring out there. Some of, most of it is just for information purposes, and I elaborate at the end of the video. So let's take a look at this clip. And uh, it's about, it's a pretty long, it's about eight, nine minutes. But I think it's important that you listen to the whole thing, and then we'll talk about it from the Word of God once I come back. Are many practices and traditions in Christianity actually pagan in origin? In their 2008 book, Pagan Christianity, authors Frank Viola and George Barna present the surprising origins of many of the practices commonly found in churches today. The authors claim that many common church practices or traditions actually have their roots in paganism, non-Christian religions, not in the Bible. But is it accurate to claim that the practices of modern Christianity are pagan? is what typically occurs in a church supported by what the Bible teaches about the church. Many Christians recognize that some pagan ideas and practices have infiltrated the Christian church. Sadly, much of what Jesus Christ abolished by his death and resurrection, the early Christians re-established. Jesus' sacrifice fulfilled God's requirements, ending the need for any further sacrifices. Hebrews 7 verse 27. The early church, due to pagan influences, warped the celebration of the Lord's Supper into a re-sacrifice or re-offering of Christ's once-for-all sacrifice. Jesus' perfect sacrifice abolished the need for a formal priesthood, Hebrews 10, verses 12-14, creating instead a kingdom of priests, Revelation 1, verse 6. The early church, again influenced by paganism, 
reestablished a priesthood that added a barrier between the ordinary believer and God. 1 Timothy 2 verse 5. These are just two of many possible examples. Most Christians wholeheartedly agree that beliefs or practices such as these need to be rejected and the biblical truth upheld. Here are the primary issues that pagan Christianity raises. 1. The church building. The New Testament records the early Christians meeting in homes, Acts 2, verse 46. Neither Jesus nor the apostles encouraged Christians to build temples or church buildings. In John 4, verses 21 through 24, Jesus declares that a time is coming where worship will not be tied to any particular location or building. For the first few hundred years of the Christian faith, church buildings were very rare. It was not until Constantine and his succeeding Roman emperors made Christianity the official religion of the Roman Empire that Christians began to build temples. In some instances, Christians, with the aid of Roman soldiers, took over pagan temples and Christianized them into churches. Christians building church buildings resulted in multiple problems. First, people began to think of a church building as a sacred space. This resulted in a separation between what goes on inside a church building and what takes place outside of a church building. Among some, blatant evil and immorality was tolerated outside of the church as long as behavior inside the church was proper. Second, some people lost the idea of God's omnipresence. The biblical fact that fellowship with God could be had anywhere was lost and replaced with the idea that a church building and or the altar inside a church building was the only place one could connect with God. Third, some people lost sight of the fact that believers in Christ are the church and instead began to think of the church as a building. But is the idea of a church building pagan? Since the Bible does not instruct Christians to build church buildings, does that mean it is wrong to have a church building? The fact that the Bible does not command something does not mean the Bible is opposed to that something. The Bible neither encourages nor discourages the idea of Christians meeting in buildings that are specifically designed for corporate worship. The question of a church building is one where it is crucially important to recognize the difference between description and prescription. The New Testament describes the early Christians meeting in homes. The New Testament does not prescribe that Christians should only meet in homes. A church building in which the biblical truth about the church is declared is in no sense unbiblical. The building is not what is unbiblical. It is the beliefs that are often attached to the building that are unbiblical. 2. The Structure of the Church In many churches today, there is a set-in-stone structure for how a service will proceed. The structure changes somewhat from church to church, but the core items remain the same. Announcements, corporate worship, meeting and greeting, prayer, the sermon, a closing song. In some churches, the order of service is absolutely unbendable. In other churches, there is some flexibility. Whatever the case, the idea of a church meeting having such a rigid structure is not presented in the New Testament. When a church has such a rigid structure, it can stifle rather than promote true worship and fellowship. 1 Corinthians 14 verse 40 teaches, But everything should be done in a fitting and orderly way. Order and structure are not unbiblical. Rigidity and legalism are unbiblical. While a church should ensure that its services are reasonably organized, it is unbiblical for a church service to be so structured that it prevents any participation, freedom, or moving of the Spirit. 3. Church Leadership 
Bible undeniably teaches that the church is to have a godly leadership. 1 Timothy 3, verses 1-13. Sadly, the early church took the concept of church leadership and due to pagan influences, molded it into a priesthood. While most Protestant and evangelical churches do not refer to its leadership as priests, in some instances the pastor or preacher serves in much the same role as a priest. Pastors are expected to do all or nearly all of the ministry work. In some churches, the reintroduction of the idea of a priest into Christianity resulted in the biblical identity of all believers being saints, ministers, and priests being lost. In church leadership, the result can be burnt-out pastors or overly authoritative pastors. The result in the congregation can be passivity and inactivity. The idea that a Christian can unenthusiastically sing a few songs, lackadaisically shake a few hands, inattentively listen to a sermon, and reluctantly give an offering, and thereby fulfill his or her role in the church, is completely unbiblical. The church is intended to be a place of healthy fellowship, active participation, and mutual edification. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 likens the church to a human body. All the parts of the body must be functioning for the body to do what it is intended to do. In some churches today, only the head is functioning. And as physiology teaches us, a head cannot survive on its own. 4. The Sermon the Bible clearly declares that God's Word is to be taught, 1 Timothy 4, verse 11. There is undeniably a place for a godly man teaching other believers in a sermonic or oratory format. One problem is that many churches fall into the trap of one man being the sole teacher. Another problem is when churches, whether intentionally or unintentionally, convey the idea that passively listening to a sermon is all that God expects. In 2 Timothy 2, verse 2, Paul encourages Timothy to entrust teaching to others who are gifted by the Holy Spirit for teaching. The presence of a non-participatory sermon is not the problem. The lack of opportunities for others to teach and or the lack of willingness to teach can be a problem. One of the goals of the church is to make disciples, not pew warmers. Many churches could do a much better job at recognizing the gift of teaching in others and training and encouraging them to use that gift. At the same time, no one should seek the position of teacher unless they have been really gifted by the Holy Spirit, a fact which can be verified by the testimony of others who can give witness to the presence of this gift. In fact, James 3 verse 1 warns us, Not many of you should presume to be teachers, my brothers because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. It is undeniable that pagan ideas and practices have crept their way into the Christian church. To varying degrees, every church has practices that are not completely based in Scripture, either in the practice itself or in the understanding of the practice. But again, this does not mean these practices are pagan or wrong. Churches would do well to continually reevaluate their methods and motivations to make sure they are biblically solid. While no church practice should conflict with Scripture, a church practice does not have to be explicitly biblical to be a viable choice. Nor does a practice not being taught in the Bible make it pagan. A practice having a pagan origin does not necessarily make it unbiblical. The key to avoiding pagan Christianity is comparing every belief and practice with Scripture and removing anything that contradicts what the Bible prescribes for the church. For those issues on which the Bible is silent, the church leadership should prayerfully consider whether or not to continue them. This has been a presentation of God Questions.
okay, friends, let's uh, analyze a little bit of what we read here, what, what we listened to here. From the outset, you notice he said, lots of things are described in the Bible. That doesn't necessarily mean they're prescribed. Okay, so he, he said, for example, we today have been raised to believe that particular buildings are the house of God. That today there is no such thing, okay, as a place being the house of God. There isn't anything more holy uh, about a church building than your own personal house or your living room. That's correct. Now, in the Bible, it does say that they met from house to house in the book of Acts, daily breaking bread. That doesn't mean that if you don't meet in a house, that you're somehow unbiblical. Okay, so what he's saying there is that, look, that was just a description of what they did. It was the prescription for what you should do. So whether you meet in a house or whether you meet in a, quote, church building, and notice I said, quote, because there's nothing like a church building. He's saying there, and I agree with him totally, that as long as you've come there in the right spirit to fellowship with one another with, with Christ Jesus, that that's acceptable to God. But the mental idea that you're in some place and that place is special because you named it the church of god or something he says that is not biblical okay and that that kind of concept has its origin paganism okay and so we need to be able to you know renew our minds from those things next thing he spoke about was something he called the re-establishment of the priesthood that means before Jesus came, um, we had priests, like the Aaron was the high priest and his descendants after him, and they acted as intermediaries between um, God and us. Now, after Jesus came, Jesus established a new priesthood in which he was the high priest, priest and the rest of us were priests under him. So we are what he referred to as a royal priesthood. Now, not long afterwards, some people came back and brought back priesthood so that today you will find Christian groups that actually have people whom they refer to as what? Priests. And they refer to these people as priests and they are not priests. They call themselves something like laity. L-A-I-T-Y, I think it is. Okay. Now, this, this is pagan. Okay. It's not Christian. If you have a group of people who you call priests and you are not a priest after Christ, as Christ said, you are a royal priesthood, but you've created a group of people, you sent them to some seminaries, they come out, you say, these are priests, then you're involved in paganism, okay? That is not excusable. You ought to stop that, okay? And you need to come to the right path, come back to the right path, okay? Now, there are those who don't refer to themselves as priests but they function in every way as though they are the priests. So we have these people, we call them pastors, okay? And they're supposed to be the intermediary between we and God. But the Bible tells us that there is only one intermediary between God and man, the person Christ Jesus, the man Christ Jesus, okay? So whether you call them pastors or whether you call them priests, as long as you have set them as your intermediary between God and yourself, okay, then you are walking in paganism. Often I'll get calls from people who think, oh, 
you know, oh, pastor, pray, you know, um, pray, because they somehow think that because you preach the word of God, your prayer is somehow more special than their prayer, you know, that is idolatry, and God hates that. Jesus says, whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. That's as blank a check as you could possibly ever get, okay, and you're not using it, you're busy calling this person, and shame on you pastors out there, you priests out there that give people the impression there's something special about your prayer, rather than teaching them that they can be like you, and they can talk to God, and God can hear them, okay, you need to repent of that, because this needs to stop, all right, so you see the difference between the Christian faith and the Christian religion, in the Christian faith, the men and women of God, the Christians, the ministers, they want you to be like them. They want to, they want to show you that you can be like them, that you can be better than them, okay? Yes, they've been in the work of, of God longer than you, and you respect them because they have their faculties trained better than you in certain things and probably most things. Yes, we, we, God, God recognizes that, and we respect such people, okay? We're not saying don't respect people who have labored for God before you ever came in there and so on and so forth. We're not saying that, okay? What we're saying is that there's nothing they're doing that is so distinct from anything you're going to be able to do and should never have that attitude, okay? That these are the priesthood and we're the lady. Don't believe that. Don't, that's not of God, okay? Another thing he mentioned was something you would call liturgy, okay? Liturgy, which is um, the order of service. Sometimes you go for church um, meeting and they'll give you a little pamphlet and at the top it will say order of service. That means they already know what they're going to do when they get to that place. They've already decided what they're going to do. After five minutes, we're going to take offering. After 15 minutes, there's going to be a testimony. After, 15, after 20 minutes, there's going to be um, dancing or whatever. Then there's going to be the, quote, sermon and all of that. This is called liturgy. This is paganistic. This is not Christian. This is not part of the Christian faith. In the Christian faith, when we come together, Sure, we should do things decently and in order, but we don't have an order of service. What if God is moving us right now to just pray and just pray and then go home, okay? What, we come, what if we come there and God is just moving us for us to just sing praises to him and then go home? What if God is moving us there to just sit down and listen to somebody give a sermon or a group of people give a sermon one after another, okay? So you don't have, you don't have any particular, um, um, quote, order of service now that you're in the Christian faith. In the Christian religion, in the Christian religion, yes, they're carrying those things out that way. Okay, you don't want to be a part of that. Now, let, let me qualify that. Okay, you want to teach people who are in that, you know, the ministers who are in that, to try to come out of that. Okay, if they're open to being taught and they, you can show them that, look, a, a, a dynamic fellowship, a dynamic church is a place where the Holy Ghost, the presence of Christ guides us, and they're, opening, they're open to learn, you know, and work with you over time, then stay there and, you know, help that minister because he is open-minded and wants, he just didn't know any better, okay? So I'm not saying just abandon your fellowship because, you know, they have order of service, or don't, don't just abandon your church because they have order of service, they have liturgy, and that's what I'm saying. I'm saying, there's a better way that's more pleasing to God, and that's the direction we ought to be going, all right? Um, then he talks about churches being led by individuals. So you have a pastor who comes every Sunday, every Wednesday, every Friday. He's the person who brings the message all the time. And after some time, there's burnout. He runs out of, you know, 
he, he has family needs to take care of, has so many things, and we turn him into some kind of mini pope, okay? The Bible never once refers to anybody as the pastor of a church. You wouldn't find that in the Bible. So this is another big difference between the Christian faith and the Christian religion. The Bible refers to people as the pastors, plural, of the church. In fact, the right word there is shepherds, okay? Pastors herd cows, shepherds herd sheep. But you know, whatever, let's just go with the term most people know, which is pastor, okay? So in any church that has any good number of people, you ought to have a group of men, okay, um, who are the leaders of that, of that church, okay? Three, four, 10, whatever, depending on the size of the fellowship. Yes, when, a, a, when there's a, a group start begins and one man begins a group or one woman begins a group, okay, I can understand where one person is teaching because most of the other people don't really know much, okay? But the, the ideal thing is to have or multiple people leading. Why? Because none of us are perfect, okay? What happens if one person is the leader and suddenly he has a horrible um, um, situation in his life, you know, maybe has some scandal, okay? That can tear up the whole place. But if he's just one of a group of people, it doesn't really affect um, negatively the whole body of people because they recognize that this man is just a human being like themselves. Now, Definitely that we ought to respect those people who have been there before us, who, you know, labored before we came in there and all of that. So uh, let God lead you in, in better understanding the things I'm trying to say. I'm not giving law. I'm not giving um, dictation. I'm not insisting on anything. I'm just telling you that certain patterns of doing things are paganistic and they're antichrist. Okay. Antichrist is anything you're doing spiritually that is not of God. And it's, it's something that God has spoken against, all right? All right. Um, we've spoken now, so we've spoken so far about a lot of things, you know, from that video. And I'm going to play a second clip, but this clip now has to do with symbols. Because there are lots of symbols that we as Christians um, assume are Christian, but they're not. You see a lot of people, they have the quote, fish you know, on the back of their bumper, on the back of their car. They have the cross hanging, you know, um, in, on their rear view mirror. Um, if they're of the Catholic religion, they might have one where they have Jesus on it. If they're of the Protestant religion, they might have one where Jesus is not on it because as they say, he's no longer on the cross. Well, the truth, friends, is this. When the Bible talks about the cross as it relates to us, it's not talking about any physical cross, okay? It's not talking about physical cross, all right? So those of us walking around wearing the cross around our neck, that is paganistic, okay? I'll just give it to you straight. That's paganistic. You have a cross hanging in your living room. You have a cross hanging in your, in your car. You have a cross hanging around your neck. That's paganistic, okay? That's just a fact, all right? Don't, 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 don't get angry. Don't get upset, okay? When the Bible talks about the cross for you and I, that's not what it's referring to. And at the end of this clip, I will talk to you about what the scriptures refer to as the cross when it concerns you and I. Okay? All right. So let's take a look at this clip and we'll come back to that um, soon.
Okay, so let's take a look at what the scriptures say about some of the things we've you know taken a look at. We've taken a look at so far. Okay, so we'll go. Let's start with um, let's let's start with the book of Acts. Okay, Acts chapter seventeen. Okay, and here it says, we'll take it from verse twenty-four. God that made the world and all things therein, seeing that he is Lord of heaven and earth, dwelleth not in temples made with hands, neither is worshipped with men's hands as though he needed anything, seeing he giveth to all life and breath and all things. So what he's saying here is this. What the scripture is telling us here is pretty clear. Okay, In verse 24 it says, God that made the world and all things therein, seeing that he is Lord of heaven and earth, dwells not in temples made with hands, okay? So that church building that you all are building or that cathedral or basilica or whatever you call it, okay? That's not the house of God. It isn't today. It's not going to be tomorrow. It never will be. The whole universe cannot contain God, okay? So we need to stop this um, paganistic mindset of thinking one particular place is holy or special and that this is the house of God, okay? It's okay that in your mind you say, okay, I have dedicated that this place as a place I go for myself and, and concentrate and meditate on God and, you know, pray and all of that. Great, but you know what? That could be anything. That could be any building. That could be an apartment, okay? That could be a soccer stadium. It could be any, any place you want to, all right? So I'm not knocking the idea of building a building for God. That's good, okay? Or let me say it's for you to meet with God, not for God, but a building for you to meet with God. We, you see, I even have that, still have that in my vocabulary, okay? A place where you've built, you and your friends have put money together to build and say, this is where we meet, you know, you know, for us to fellowship with one another and meet with God here. That's great. That's good too. But don't think that that place is now special because you said so, okay? Don't think that it's, it's now special. God now lives there because you said so, all right? So you need, to, you need to change your mind from those things, all right? Now, let's look at another scripture here about the cross, which is something I really wanted to get, I really want to get to. And this will be found in 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, 1 Corinthians chapter 1 from verse 17, okay? And this is Paul speaking. He says, For Christ sent me not to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ should be made of none effect. And we'll find out now what it means by the cross of Christ. For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness, but unto us which are saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and will bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this world? Hath God not made foolish the wisdom of this world? For after that, in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. For the Jews require a sign, and the Greeks seek after wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified. I'll say that again. We preach Christ crucified. That means hung on the cross. We preach Christ crucified unto the Jews. It's a stumbling block and unto the Greeks, it's foolishness. But unto them which are called, both Jews and Greeks, 
Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God. Let me just stop here, okay? Let me just stop here, okay? And you know what? Let me read that one more time, okay? We'll just take it from, um, from verse 21. For after that, in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. For the Jews require a sign, and the Greeks seek after wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified. Unto the Jews it's a stumbling block, and unto the Greeks it's foolishness. So for a Jew, or the, or those who were expecting the Messiah, for the Messiah to be humbled, to be beaten, to be hung on a cross, to die, you know, it went against their theology. Okay? It went against their theology. It wasn't what they believed Christ was supposed to be. And it made them reject the gospel of Christ. And to the people of this world, to the intellectuals, to those who think they're educated and informed and exposed and, quote, civilized, you see them more and more, okay, turning away from the things of God. Why? Because it's what foolishness to them, okay? Those of us who are into the things of God, who are talking about the coming of Christ, we look like ignorant fools to them. They think they're very educated and exposed. Look, even if you're more educated than they are, they think you gotta, there's something wrong with your head. Even if you're more exposed than they are, they think there's going to be some problem with you. They have a reason for, they always have a reason for rejecting the gospel of Christ. But what, let's get back to the meat of the matter. What exactly is the cross? The cross is the lifestyle of self-neglect. What do I mean by that? It's the life in which you do not render evil for evil. It's the life where you take hurt, but do not give it back in return. It's the life where you lose your wealth and your riches for the sake of your relationship with God through Jesus Christ. It's the life where you give up that which is rightfully yours for the sake of the kingdom of God. It is that life in which you conduct yourself in such a way so as not to bring or cast aspersions or let others cast aspersions on the way of Jesus Christ. That's the cross, okay? So when the Bible talks about the cross for us, that's what it's referring to. It's not referring to some uh, stick of wood you hang in the door of your house or you hang on the rear view mirror of your car, or some gold diamond pendant you hang around your neck. You know, you've been watching too many Dracula movies. Huh? You know, Dracula movies where the, you do this and then Dracula is going to die. If anybody makes you think that that's going to, you know, drive away some evil spirit from your house, then, you know, you're not studying your word. Okay, I'm not trying to make light of your faith. I'm just trying to get you out of that foolishness. What saves you? is the fact that you have royal blood running through you. And what do I mean by royal blood? The blood of Jesus Christ, when you received him, you received royal blood. That means that you have a relationship with God that makes him your father. And every power in the universe recognizes the blood of God. You're the only one that doesn't know the value of what you have. And spirits 
and powers will relate with you based on what you know about the power that you have. Many of you don't even understand what the blood of Jesus is about. The blood of Jesus is about a relationship. What does that, what is that relationship? It's the relationship between a father and the son. That's why the Bible says we have been adopted into sonship. Not adoption like you just adopt a child. It's adoption in the sense that the blood that flowed through the veins of God in the person of Jesus Christ literally now flows through your veins and my veins. And for that reason, I will never die. If you have the blood flowing in you, you will never die. It's impossible for you to die. Jesus said something. He said, whoever believes in me shall never die. And even if they do die, they shall live again. Isn't that awesome? Do you really understand it? Do you really know what it means? I've, that's why we're doing this, okay? We're sharing these teachings with you to bring you to, awake, to an awakening of who you are. Do you know that Jesus says you are gods in the book of John? Gods. Think about that. Do you know that in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, that God says that you are going to judge angels one day? You are going to judge angels. If you know who you are, you will no longer let yourself be carried away by these dumb idols, these paganistic rituals, and you will come into the liberty that God has, inherited, has earned for you and I. That's why we're doing this, okay? Well, friends, uh, I think this will be the conclusion um, on this teaching about the difference between the Christian faith and the Christian religion. Um, I look forward to taking your questions online. Remember, you can go to Facebook and look for Emerging Temple. That's our handle on Facebook. And also on, on, the, uh, on the chat in this video, please, if you have anything to say, you have any questions, you know, go ahead and put your questions across. I look forward to answering them for you. And if there's anything else that you want us to discuss, maybe you want us to elaborate another topic, certainly we'll look into that, you know, for you. Okay, remember to share these videos with your friends. I want to encourage you to continue doing that. Some of you have been doing that. Now, sometimes when you go to our page, you go and you see the number of views that might look like we don't have a lot of views. The truth is we do. For many of you are watching our videos through other means, WhatsApp and all these other things, it doesn't register. But I want you to know hundreds of people are watching these videos, okay? And where we can see from the stats that people are staying longer now to to watch our videos, I think the word is getting out that there's something here. So please, if you're going to support us, we look forward to you continuing that support, actually getting around to doing it. Subscribe, I can't say this enough, okay? Subscribe to our channel, we need to get people subscribed. Don't just be watching us, subscribe to our channel, okay? Because we need those subscriptions, okay? But most importantly, most importantly, go home, search the scriptures, to see if the things that we're saying is truly of God, okay? And implement these things. Make certain that you're more interested to having peace with God and to being with God than being accepted by your friends and family, okay? That's good to have, but if you've got to let it go, you've got to let it go for Jesus. Thank you very much. I look forward to speaking with you all again next, um, not tomorrow, Okay, yeah, I look forward to speaking with you tomorrow, Friday, same time. Okay, God bless you.